Hello, and welcome to Stride and Saunter, episode 67. I'm Kip Clark. And I'm Caroline Borders. And today we're going to be responding to a relatively old Wall Street Journal article from June 3rd of this year, 2015, and it's entitled Robots Have Emotions Too by James E. Young. And so the gist of the article, which we will of course get into, is about the human relationship to robots in the workplace specifically. Dr. Young, who is an assistant professor in the Human Computer Interaction Lab at the University of Manitoba in Winnipeg, Canada, conducted a study with some of his students, I believe, and reached some very interesting conclusions. For example, a poll within the article gave the percentages of Europeans surveyed who agreed with the following statements. For example, 91% of participants felt that robots are a form of technology that requires careful management. 88% felt that robots are necessary as they can do jobs that are too hard or too dangerous for people. 76% felt that robots are a good thing for society because they help people. And 70% felt that robots steal people's jobs. So Caroline, do any of those statistics stand out to you as interesting? Do you disagree with some of the participants in that initial survey? I sort of found it interesting that people felt so strongly about robots being a good thing for society. I mean, I often feel that robots are treated sort of like immigrants, where eventually they're going to wipe out the labor workforce and therefore no one will have jobs, which is another statistic that is pointed out. But the idea that robots are good for society because they help people, it's a vague statement in my head. So it stood out to me as sort of strange that the first thing that comes to mind for them is that robots are helpful. What did you think about it? Well, my overall reaction to the article was really positive. I'm excited to see what kind of emotional attachments people form with robots because I think of examples like those in Star Wars where droids like C-3PO and R2-D2 that frankly could be realities in the next 10 or 20 years of our lives cooperate with people. And of course, there are in Star Wars negative examples where droids are used for combat and therefore could be dangerous. And there are also examples there in reality that I think we will witness in the next 10 or 20 or perhaps sooner years. But I'm excited as someone who really enjoys socializing. I'm excited by the thought of socializing with a robot. And I'm sure new words will have to be constructed to describe human relationships with robots. But as I've said, I have a lot of enthusiasm for what will be essentially a new field of human interaction. We already have biological studies of other organisms, but in many ways, as the article describes, even though they are not living in the way that we typically think of living beings, robots are treated by people as living beings. And in the same way that human perceptions tend to be reality, I think we will in many ways project the status of life onto robots which will negate the reality that they are not living things. It won't matter anymore. Well, I think it's so interesting that you're so enthusiastic about maybe this humanizing of robots in a way, because I think now the version of robots that we have, at least in a generally utilized sense, is, for example, self-checkout machines at grocery stores. And I think that, in fact, is the future of general stores and merchandise. And I think that's not great. I don't know if that's the best way robots should be used because it really is putting people out of jobs. I hear what you're saying. I think the article doesn't make a ton of clarifications about this, but the difference between robot and machine being that a robot is an automaton and a functional independent device, whereas a self-checkout machine might be categorized as lesser than or not quite a robot in that robots, I think, are technically very mobile or at least can move around their environment in a way that a stationary machine might not. 
In that way, I mean, I'm just as excited about robots in the same way that I'm excited about something like finding extraterrestrial life or something, just that other social aspect coming into play in terms of another being. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Young and his colleagues point out four pieces of advice they would give to improve workplace relationships with robots, those being one, give robots social skills to improve work efficiency. Two, be careful when robots give people commands and recommendations. Three, develop a strategy for empathy towards robots. And four, watch for social issues between people and robots. So to me, one of the most interesting pieces there is develop a strategy of empathy towards robots. And I think that's interesting because in the same way that people care for antiques, a lot of these studies have shown that people would rather repair robots to whom they've become attached than replace them with newer models or more efficient models. And Dr. Young points out that this might lead to workplace inefficiency, where people's attachments to older robot models linger and therefore productivity goes down. And I think that's interesting because as humans, we attach to things that may not be terribly efficient. We could could let go of the elderly and let them free completely and not worry about them because they are on a financial scale unproductive and we could look at them purely economically and I think that's a danger in human thinking in that we are both economic but also emotional and empathetic beings and often in this article's case those may be in conflict because we will develop attachments to robots and I'd be curious to know in future jobs you might hold if you'd consider that a problem, or if you can envision a workplace environment for yourself in which you'd be working alongside robots. I think that's so fascinating to think about. And it also just conflates two concepts right now that are really in binary opposition, which is the scientific and the emotional. And the scientific is really valorized in today's world. And so I think robots are going towards that, but we don't attach the emotional to that. And you don't personify robots. You don't personify things or objects that are inanimate. But if robots become things that are, in fact, communicative and reactionary and are actually working in an office environment or whatever kind of, you know, productivity place this is, I think it would be really fascinating to work with an object that I'm empathizing and really treating like a social being alongside myself. Productivity was a really key word there because for the advice of being careful when robots give people commands and recommendations, not only do people empathize with robots, but because we know they are mechanical and analytical and very precise beings or entities capable of high sensory output, understanding their environments better than maybe we as humans would, studies have shown that people tend to rely upon their advice even if they give repeated errors or if they give the same advice repeatedly. For example, to tighten a bolt that doesn't need to be tightened because their sensors aren't working properly, yet we as people tend to trust them. And so this point brought up the problem of responsibility. If a robot tells me to lock something that shouldn't be locked or to close a program, let's say, that shouldn't be closed or anything and a malfunction happens or any error, injury is sustained, anything, who is responsible? Because I listened to the robot, so I had agency, but it seems, and I agree with this, we do tend to trust machines because we think they are not only more capable than us, but infallible in a logical sense. And of course, very few things in the world, if anything, is infallible. So how would you negotiate that area? Do you think that's a problem? And who should be responsible, in your opinion? 
I think that's so tricky and very, very insightful of you, Kip, because it's true. I think we look at machines, we view them as emotionally unattached and therefore have an advantage over human analytical thinking or problem solving because they have all the answers programmed into them. However, we fail to also recognize that those answers were programmed by another human. But I think what the trajectory that this article is talking about is the idea that at a certain point, it will be the robot who is really fully in charge of its actions. And at that point, I think you have to remain conscious of your own agency. I think you have to maybe be just more alert to the fact that you are the one making the decision at the end of the day, even if this machine is giving you the answer in place. And decision making is crucial to the final piece of advice in this article, which states, watch for social issues between people and robots, because again, these studies concluded people feel uneasy around robots whose facial expressions don't match the words they're saying. For example, criticism combined with a smiling or positive facial expression. Similarly, recommendations when the robot's eyes are gazing downward or shifty eyes, robots that won't make eye contact, even though, of course, robots don't have eyes in the way that people do. And I find that really fascinating because people for centuries have been attributing social expressions to animals that don't necessarily exhibit the same emotions we do in the same way. Or to other people of different cultures. Absolutely. And so we might think upward lips indicate a smile, but for some animals, maybe that's not the case at all. Maybe they're baring their fangs or something. And I find it really fascinating that humans continue to see the world as humanity in other forms. Which is why it's sort of obvious that people would create robots in the form of humans. Absolutely. Though it is sort of strange in my opinion. And I'm excited again, sorry for overusing that word, to see how robots as learning entities learn human emotions. And it's quite possible that in the same way children are socialized, a young robot or a new robot, if it's recently come off the factory line, will learn emotions out in the wild, so to speak, over dinner conversations or similar environments for robots in which human beings interact with them. And I'm so eager to have conversations with entities that will have similar language or will translate their thoughts into English, let's say, and see how robots communicate and also how they adapt their communication in the same way that I would say certain things to you, Caroline, that I might not say to my grandmother or to a pastor or to a professor who's twice my age. And so that is interesting to me. And again, I'd love to hear your thoughts there. What that brings to mind for me is the idea of nature versus nurture, but for a robot. So nurturing a robot, how strange does that sound, but also how fascinating. And like you said, like a robot sitting at a dinner table and treating it like an actual human and talking to it, it experiencing emotions by perhaps mirroring your own or body language and seeing if they are capable of learning emotion and learning empathy. And I think it will be even more challenging for humans and it will be conscious controversial to see how humans treat robots and if they are really like human, which I think this article is arguing that we should treat them like humans and that because inherently that's what we're doing with other inanimate objects and who will say, no, these are simply machines and we should treat them thus. And I think that debate will emerge. I was also really intrigued by this sentence. Our team found that people interpret how a robot moves fast, slow, soft or jerky motions, etc. in emotional terms. And a lot of this article was about transcribing emotion 
functions onto what might otherwise be factory settings. Let's say a robot was programmed to operate at five miles an hour simply for safety concerns, and people took that to mean lethargic or disinterested or sad. Or cautious. Exactly. And it's so interesting to think that we think in a certain emotional language that, as I've said now multiple times, we project onto the world. And I'm excited to see maybe ways in which robots challenge that thinking both actively and just passively in being robotic. Absolutely. And I really like one of the lines in the article that talks about robots and people asking each other for advice. And to me, that's a simultaneously ancient and yet modern thought that we would look to our creations for advice because people have been doing that for millennia. We've looked to ancient writings and ancient poems and ancient pieces of thought, philosophy. And in the modern era with creations like movies or television shows, a lot of people do look to them for meaning and transpose that into their life. So many people take jokes, for example, from their favorite sitcoms and talk about them. And I don't think it's going to be new in that way, but it will be interesting because typically we interpret those things and choose our own words to describe those entities. And now our creations are in many ways going to choose their own words with which to talk back to us. And I'd love to know what you think about that. I think it's empowering in a way because I think the human race is going to learn a lot about itself in ways that we are really set in our ways about. I completely agree. And if we welcome this new race, it would seem, and accept that they may offer us knowledge that we may be totally not cognizant of, then I think we could really benefit in the long run. The article mentions that there are some soldiers in fields of combat that are reluctant to let their robots, who they've now developed as friends and allies, into combat. And I'm curious to know what you think about that. That was a really striking part of the article for me because I don't often have friends who go into such overtly dangerous situations. Maybe I could protest drinking in some of my friends because it is potentially dangerous. But in my personal life experience, I don't know many people who have enlisted in the military or undergone overtly dangerous things that aren't, let's say, surgical in nature. And so it's a new type of thought for me that I've never really experienced things like that, but I can picture it in my personal life if I were making repairs on a house and needed to climb up high and my robotic friend offered to do it for me, I would be hesitant. I think we're going to be, as humans, very parental over robots because I think on some level we will see them as new and therefore younger and associate tropes that we tend to associate with young people and, again, project that onto robots. But I think there will be people who view them purely through practicality. So if you're risking your life to go into battle, why not send a robot who can do the same thing you can and you're saving a human life? And so that debate, I think, will arise as well. That's a really important point. I think the contrast between a human in that situation and a robot is that humans, as the poet Walt Whitman once said, contain multitudes. We have so many things inside of us, so many different directions and paths that we can follow. You're not just Caroline, the co-host of the show. You are an anthropology major. You are a former student of your high school. You are a daughter, etc., etc. And I think the difference between a robot and a human in those situations is that a robot might see its function as singular 
and might say, I don't mind being in danger because my programming, my function is to aid my owner, my master, whatever term it will use. And I wonder to what extent robots will be given artificial intelligence to debate that function and maybe say, well, my primary function is to help you, but I do calculate or recognize that you might be at a loss without me if I were put into harm and destroyed and were beyond repair. You just listed for me an array of social roles that I fulfill. I'm also curious to see what social roles a robot will fulfill in that same vein. Yeah, I mean, we are students currently, and one question I'd be really curious to ask you, as well as our audience always, is would you be willing to be taught by a robot that had been proven to be an expert in certain areas? For example, Watson, the name of the computer by IBM that was a Jeopardy champion and beat Ken Jennings, the former Jeopardy champion, was intelligent, and I'm saying that with air quotes because it had the ability to look up vast arrays of information. Would you be willing to be taught by a robot? Because I have a certain point to make there. That's so interesting. I don't know, because one of the reasons that I love classroom environments is because of the personalities of my professors that are inherently provided by them teaching me. So I don't know if a robot would embody those qualities. That's definitely a fair point. And I was going to make a similar point that to me, personality is key in schooling, that I'm not simply reading and digesting mundane material. There is flair to it sometimes, and people add their own takes. For example, a professor today, as we're recording this, recited the first first 180 lines of the Canterbury Tales by Chaucer from memory. And a robot could do it too, but she had great inflection. She smiled throughout it because she was enjoying reliving, I suppose, the memorization of those lines. And I think about robots, and except for artificial intelligence, they might teach us through rote memorization. And so in many ways, they will be quote-unquote living textbooks. They won't necessarily bring things to life, but rather repeat them. And I'd be willing to be taught personally by a robot if I knew it had exhibited some quirk or some distinction (laughs) that made it stand out in some way, because I'd like to think in a very selfish way that my experiences are unique or can be made unique. So before we close the episode, any final thoughts on this article? I have many thoughts about robots, and I think it will just be really fascinating to see how they develop and what realm in society they really embody. Will they become an everyday item like a car, or will they become really just for expert material intelligence? It will be really interesting to see what happens in the future. And I hope I am alive long enough to see it. (laughs) I suspect that we will be. I'm also very aware, and this may be another episode in which we discuss the following, that we are talking about robots from a very privileged perspective in that, A, we may someday work in fields that incorporate robotics because we've been lucky enough to have the education that we are enjoying, and also that we were able to read the Wall Street Journal. There are people who may not know that this information and these developments are out there because of the situations in which they live. And so I acknowledge that and would really love to someday discuss with you and perhaps others the relationship that robotics has to class environments and to someone's socioeconomic status. Definitely. But in terms of questions I would like the audience to think about, even though you may not currently be working with robotic entities, in what ways have you attached emotionally to possessions of yours, or perhaps to more mechanical or pseudo-intellectual items like books or your computers or laptops, your smartphones in some cases? I would really love to hear about that. And also, if any of you have read this article by Dr. Young, what you think about it if you had similar reactions to Caroline and myself, and 
course, we'd love to hear them. I would also just encourage the audience to be open to new technologies like this and treating them empathetically. It may seem kind of bizarre. I find it kind of bizarre even talking about it right now, but I think it could be really groundbreaking in the future if we are open to technology like this in a humanistic, personified way. And so, of course, we'd love this to be a conversation among, not simply a conversation between. And if you do have any thoughts or responses, comments or criticisms, you can find us on Twitter or on Facebook. You can also email us at strideandsaunter at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love it if you subscribed and reviewed the show. It always helps us expand and reach new audiences, which we are very appreciative of. And if you do leave us a review on iTunes, please email us the text or image of that review and you will be entered to win a $20 Amazon gift card. And as always, we thank you very much for listening. And from thought to word and voice to ear, this is Kip Clark signing off. And this is Caroline Borders. We'll see you next time.